I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. While there's been great interest in harvesting and targeting the microbiome to treat disease, Federation Bio believes for durable benefits, it's necessary to provide a rich ecosystem of microbes in a single therapy. The company has developed a platform for producing synthetic microbial cell therapies to treat a range of diseases from metabolic disorders to metastatic cancers. Unlike earlier approaches, the company said it's generating potent, reproducible, and complete microbial consortia that stably engraft to provide predictable and durable responses. We spoke to Emily Drabant-Conley, CEO of Federation Bio, about its platform technology, how it determines what to include or exclude in a given therapy, and what makes a disease a good candidate for its living therapeutics approach. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Federation Bio, its efforts to develop human microbiome-based therapies to treat a range of disorders, and it's focused on providing a community of microbes in its therapies which seek to be curative. Let's start with the microbiome and, and looking to the potential to address diseases through the use of naturally occurring microbes within the human body. What's the case for this approach? What makes it compelling? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's it's pretty fascinating that you actually have more bacterial cells in your body than human cells. And we've co-evolved with these microbes over millions and millions of years, and they perform absolutely essential functions uh, for human health. And we now know that the microbiome is implicated in a host of human diseases, everything from metabolic diseases to cancer. And in recent years, we've really evolved the tools to be able to study the microbiome and to start to translate some of these insights into therapeutics. And, And kind of key among those technological advances has been the ability to perform whole genome sequencing on microbes. So now we can actually sequence a microbe's genome and um, use that information to understand its functional properties, which can then help us to design these large consortia um, that function as therapeutics. There's been a lot of interest in the microbiome as a, a source of therapeutics. Well, what's interesting to me about what Federation Bio is doing is that it's not looking just at a single strain of a microbe as a treatment, but a colony of microbes. Why treat patients with an ecosystem of microbes? Yeah, so your microbiome is this incredibly complex organ, essentially, um, that, as you pointed out, really functions as an ecosystem. And like an ecosystem, like a coral reef, for instance, um, you know, there are multiple factors at play. And so if you had a coral reef that was Um, dying, you couldn't just put in, say, some clownfish and hope that it would rehabilitate the coral reef. Um, There are too many other ecosystem dynamics that are happening. And the microbiome is similar to that, where these bacteria, they live 
in um, this densely packed environment uh, right up next to each other. And they're interacting constantly. They're producing metabolites. Um, and those metabolites produced by one bacteria become an input uh, source to another bacteria. And so we've really learned a lot over the years from studies of FMT, which is fecal matter transplant. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's taking the entire ecosystem of a microbiome via feces from typically from a healthy individual and transplanting it into a patient that is sick. Um, and so a lot of these studies have focused on C. difficile infection, which is a pathogenic bacteria. And they've shown that with a one-time administration of FMT, of a fecal matter transplant, if you go back to a patient that received that FMT five years later, a majority of those microbes are still there. And so this has really taught us that when you kind of do a wholesale swap of the microbiome with an entirely new ecosystem, that ecosystem is very durable and can therefore deliver potent therapeutic effects in an ongoing way. Uh, but there are limitations to that approach. So FMT um, is highly variable. It's very dependent on the donor from which the feces came from. Um, it can't be engineered in any way to be optimized. It's certainly not scalable. Um, and there have been safety challenges where uh, patients that have received an FMT, there have been a few deaths, actually, um, because there was a pathogen embedded in the FMT that they weren't able to screen out. And so our approach really um, uh, addresses each of those limitations in that we can design these large, complex consortia that we then manufacture from purified cell lines so we can do it in a scalable way and we can optimize them therapeutically. How do you determine what to include or exclude in a treatment? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So we um, have done kind of high throughput design of, um, of uh, various consortia. And so where we start is we have this library of proprietary bacterial strains that we've isolated from human donors. We then do um, whole genome sequencing on each of those strains. We profile them. We use the genomic information to understand their functional properties. And then we design based on whatever MOA we're going after. So we focus on the specific chemistry we need the bugs to perform. We kind of select those bacteria. And then we put them on a backbone um, uh, of a microbiome that is uh, metabolically complete. So we kind of select uh, other microbes to support them. Um, and, uh, and then we test it in animal models. And we do that essentially in an iterative fashion um, so that we end up with a consortia that is performing the MOA that we care about, um, that is fully metabolically complete. So that means it has bacteria from all six phyla of the gut represented. Um, and then we put it into manufacturing. And can these be delivered orally or do you have to encapsulate them or deliver them through some other means? Yeah, they're all delivered orally. So we lyophilize the bacteria, which is a process of freeze drying them and then encapsulate them into enteric coated capsules so they can make it through the acids of the stomach without that capsule um, opening up and exposing the bacteria to stomach acids. Um, but they're, yeah, they're all dosed orally, which I think is important, um, you know, and also a place where we're differentiated in terms of some of the, like IBD, for instance, having efficacious oral therapies is, um, you know, is really desirable for, for patients. You're looking at a wide range of potential conditions, metabolic diseases, cancer, and autoimmune diseases. What makes a particular condition a good candidate for your living therapeutics approach? 
You know, there are so many places where the microbiome is involved. And so as a result, we have a really diverse pipeline. Um, we, we, you know, we are, have a lead indication in enteric hyperoxaluria, um, which is a metabolic condition. We have programs in immuno-oncology. Um, we have a program in inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the, uh, I think that's part of what's exciting about this approach is that the microbiome is, is involved in so many aspects of human health. But I think what differentiates us is that we've really focused on diseases where we understand um, the, the mechanism of action, and then we can select microbes that perform specific chemistry to target that mechanism. Um, and, uh, and for now, you know, we're, we're kind of working our way, like the, the lead indication in enteric hyperoxaluria, the, the MOA is really well understood there. Um, and as we get proof of concept in those early studies, um, we're moving more and more into diseases, um, of higher enmet need where the MOA is more sophisticated and complex. Well, let, let's talk about enteric hyperoxaluria. This is your lead experimental therapy. It's in the clinic. How does it work? Yeah. So in this particular condition, um, these are patients that essentially get recurrent kidney stones. Um, so they're getting kidney stones over and over and over again. And the kidney stones um, it can essentially evolve into these patients ending up with end-stage renal disease. Um, and so the root cause of what's going on, most of these patients have an underlying malabsorptive disorder. So they may have IBD or celiac. Many of them have undergone Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. Um, and so what happens is in, in all of us, we consume um, this uh, toxic molecule called oxalate uh, in our food every day. It's a toxin that plants make as a defense. Um, it's in spinach and nuts and chocolate. And those of us that are healthy excrete it. But in these patients with enteric hyperoxaluria, they end up absorbing the oxalate through leaky junctions in their guts. Um, and the oxalate then flows to the, through the bloodstream to the kidneys where it complexes with calcium and it makes um, uh, calcium oxalate kidney stones. And so these patients get these recurrent stones. And, um, and so what we've designed is um, the therapeutic FB001, which is currently in a phase one trial, where we have isolated microbes whose sole food source is oxalate. They, um, they'll die without it. So they've evolved these really sophisticated mechanisms um, for degrading oxalate and also for extracting oxalate um, from the gut. And they can even pull deposited oxalate from uh, through the gut lumen uh, back into the gut where they can eat it. Um, so we've isolated these particular microbes and then we've paired them with a metabolically complete uh, consortia so that we can get durable engraftment. Um, because these oxalate degrading bugs, they're pretty sensitive. Um, most uh, Americans don't have them um, because we've all either taken antibiotics or eaten a poor diet. Um, so they need to be on a backbone of a set of supportive microbes that can help them perform their function um, by uh, performing other reactions that let this oxalate reduction reaction to continue. Um, and so the, the final output of the therapeutic is a consortia of 148 distinct strains of bacteria that are formulated into a single um, capsule that is dosed orally um, and is now in the clinic uh, in an enteric hyperoxaluria trial. What's known about it from the preclinical studies that you've done? Yeah, we, were, we studied um, uh, mouse models primarily. 
Um, and, uh, and what we did there is we, we took mice and we fed them high levels of oxalate to induce um, hyperoxaluria. And, and the, one of the things we like about this particular disorder um, from a development standpoint is, first of all, there's no approved therapies for patients. So patients are managed right now by, um, you know, essentially drinking more water, eating less oxalate and taking calcium supplements. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity to, to really improve things for patients. Um, but there's also a, a well-known biomarker. So patients um, are diagnosed with enteric hyperoxaluria through a urine test um, where you measure oxalate in the urine. And so you can do the same thing in the animals. Um, we essentially take animals, we feed them high levels of oxalate in their food, um, and then we can measure their urinary oxalate output um, on, on the back end. And so in these models, we've then taken them and dosed them with FB001, um, and we've seen up to about a 65% reduction in their urinary oxalate output. Um, and one of the things that we, we have to think about with a living therapeutic like this is that, um, first of all, patients will come to the table with their own endogenous microbiome, which will be different uh, between people. And second of all, patients will have uh, varied diets. And so when we did our definitive study, um, one of the things that was important was to study uh, FB001 on a variety of dietary backgrounds. And so we were able to do this um, in mice with, um, you know, kind of a healthy uh, grain-based diet. And then with a um, what I call kind of the McDonald's diet, high fat, high sugar. Um, and in both of those instances, we saw really dramatic reductions in, um, in urinary oxalate. Um, we also were able to uh, humanize the mice with a human microbiome and then treat them with antibiotics to kind of knock down the, that, that microbiome and reduce um, those microbes and then put in this new microbiome with FBO03. And again, we saw really dramatic reductions in urinary oxalate. And so this has given us confidence that going into a heterogeneous human population, um, you know, people eating different diets, people having different microbes, uh, that, that we hope that we'll see, um, that we'll see potent, uh, potent effects. Federation Bio has also developed a platform for microbial immunotherapy. You're seeking to genetically modify microbes to modulate T cells to treat cancer and autoimmune disease. What are you doing to modify bacteria and how does that approach work? Yeah, there's just fascinating interactions between the human immune system and the microbiome. Um, this is one of the many benefits that the microbiome performs for us is that it actually helps train our immune system. And um, in recent years, we have um, uh, started to appreciate that distinct species of microbes can actually induce different uh, subsets of, uh, of immune cells. Um, for instance, there are particular strains of, uh, of bacteria that can induce CD8 T cells um, or can induce CD4 T cells. And so we've been really interested in taking advantage of this um, and, uh, and potentially genetically modifying bacteria so that instead of just carrying their normal bacterial antigens, they could also carry antigens of interest, such as tumor antigens um, or antigens associated with autoimmune conditions. And then the bacteria becomes this vehicle that is sort of delivering the antigen to the immune system um, and kicking off an immune response where you now have uh, T cells, um, uh, in the case of one of our programs, CD8 T cells that are antigen specific to tumor. 
uh, which then can um, travel and traverse through the body, as we know that CD8 T cells do, uh, to the site of a tumor location and then attack those tumor cells. When do you hope to be in the clinic with any of those programs? Yeah, those are earlier in development. There's still, um, you know, a, a lot to, that, that we have to sort out. So, um, you know, the timeline there is, is, is further out. I would say that what we're doing on the consortia side, um, which is the platform we're using for enteric hyperxaluria, um, is more advanced. And uh, we have programs there that are, will be cl- faster to the clinic. You also recently announced a partnership with MD Anderson. Can you explain what you're doing through that collaboration? Sure. So the partnership with MD Anderson is focused on developing a novel microbiome treatment for immunotherapy-resistant cancers. And so the concept here is that checkpoint inhibitors, um, you know, while they have been, uh, you know, a profound advance in our toolkit um, uh, against cancer, uh, have limitations. There are a lot of patients that don't respond to checkpoint inhibitors. And um, there's also evidence that the microbiome plays a role. There's uh, papers showing that the use of antibiotics um, hinders the, uh, the effects of checkpoint inhibitors. It uh, makes for worse outcomes with these patients. And a couple of years ago, um, the uh, Jen Wargo at MD Anderson led a study where they took um, a cancer patient who had been a complete responder to checkpoint inhibitors, and they took a fecal sample from that cancer patient. And they then transplanted it into patients that had been given checkpoint inhibitors and not responded. And they found that they were actually able to convert some of those non-responders into responders by using the fecal sample. So again, this is really um, giving us evidence that the microbiome is mediating these important immune responses. and so the collaboration that we have with, with MD Anderson is uh, they have another ongoing FMT clinical trial. And so they have now uh, provided us a fecal sample from one of these elite responders. Um, and Federation Bio is in the process of extracting all of the bacteria from that fecal sample, um, growing those bacteria up as purified cell lines, optimizing that, and then turning it into a, a therapeutic that can be scalably manufactured um, and and uh, delivered to patients who have failed checkpoints. You had mentioned earlier the benefit that you don't have to do tox studies, but are there any unusual regulatory or manufacturing challenges in this therapeutic approach? Yes, there are a lot. I mean, we are the first uh, company ever to take forward a therapeutic that is made from this level of complexity uh, in terms of like the the raw number of microbes that we're working with that we've grown from from cell lines. So this isn't, there are other microbiome technologies out there where they're using feces as the drug. This is not that. So these are actual clonal cell lines. Um, and, and so we've uh, worked really diligently with the FDA to describe our approach to them because nobody's ever done this before. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and to be honest, we weren't totally certain that we would be able to manufacture um, a therapeutic with 148 different uh, strains of bacteria into a single drug. So there was a lot of innovation figuring out how to actually um, grow these bugs together. So we have a platform called ACT, which stands for anaerobic co-culture technology. So rather than growing the bacteria one by one, we're actually growing them in groups in co-culture. Um, and that's a, a big part of the kind of proprietary know-how that we have at Federation Bio. And so 
the process of getting FDA 01 into the clinic, you know, we had multiple interactions with the FDA leading up to that uh, to make sure that they understood what we were doing um, and that we, um, you know, that we could get feedback from them to, to make sure we had alignment about how we were manufacturing and releasing the drug. Um, and that's something that I think will continue to evolve over time. We're really excited uh, to be in the clinic with this first consortia program. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll demonstrate safety and engraftment and efficacy. Um, and then, you know, we have a, a number of different consortia programs in the pipeline coming up behind that. Federation Bio launched with $50 million in a Series A financing in 2020. How far will existing funding take you and what's the plan for additional fundraising? Yeah, you know, I feel really proud that we have managed to get into the clinic on Series A funds. I think that um, particularly in the current funding environment, it, it was an important milestone for us to hit. So uh, we're in the midst of a phase one now um, looking for a data readout uh, later this year. And we're actually um, also planning to raise funds later this year. So we'll kick off a Series B, um, uh, you know, with with some data in hand from our phase one clinical trial. Prior to joining the company, you had been a vice president of business development at 23andMe. Given your business development background, what role do you expect partnering to play in Federation Bio's plans? I think there's a lot of opportunities for partnering. And one of the things that makes these consortia so attractive um, is that they appear to be very well tolerated. Um, So because we're using naturally occurring bacteria, that have been isolated from healthy human donors. Um, uh, first of all, we, we typically don't have to run talk studies on these uh, on these microbes, which accelerates our path to the clinic. But secondarily, um, they do appear to be well tolerated. And so, uh, what what that means is that I think there's a lot of opportunity to combine um, microbiome consortia with existing treatments. Um, And so, for instance, uh, we have a program in inflammatory bowel disease, um, again, using a very large consortia of microbes. Um, We have robust uh, preclinical data in animal models of ulcerative colitis, where we see um, clinical improvement with with the treatment um, uh, of our consortia. And, um, you know, in IBD, there are existing uh, treatments, but Many of those treatments come with pretty hefty side effect profiles. I, I don't know that we'll necessarily displace those treatments completely. I think, you know, the anti-TNFs and steroids are an important tool in the toolkit. Um, but certainly the ability to um, treat a patient with a microbial consortia that then can um, lessen how often they need to, how often they're having flares, how often they need to go on anti-TNFs or steroids. I think is really attractive. Um, and so I think that opens up, a, you know, a lot of partnering opportunities. So it's certainly something that we're exploring. Emily Draven Conley, CEO of Federation Bio. Emily, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.